We are living in a world of rapid change, a world of mounting complexity, a world full of information, but very few answers. Let's face it, it can feel complicated. And the more complex issues appear, the more difficult it is to find our way. But what if the answers we seek aren't as complicated as we think? What if I told you God is not a God of confusion, but a God of clarity? What if, instead of pushing forward without direction, we return to the foundation that God created for us? What if we decided to reject the confusion our world is presenting to us? What if we decided to get back to basics? I read about a little boy and little girl, brother and sister, who were playing in uh, like the bonus room of their home and they came across some boxes, some storage boxes there and they were sifting through different things, just being curious. And they, they, they came across some old letters that their parents had written to each other when they were dating. And after they read through some of those very touching love letters, the brother said to the sister, well, I can tell you one thing, these aren't the names they call each other now. <laughs> we're, we're in a series called Back to Basics and we're, we're talking about God's design for men and women and God's design for marriage and how men and women are to function together in marriage. And, and um, we're, we're really trying to identify some of the most important dynamics of being men, women, and then being men and women in the context of really the most powerful human connection we have in terms of two strangers coming together, and that is the covenant of marriage. And so we've talked about what it means to be a man. We talked about what it means to be a woman. We talked last week about the basic needs of our wives. And today we'll talk about the basic needs of the husband. And let me just remind you that understanding the basic needs that all of us possess is vitally important to making marriage work according to God's design. And, and so let me show you the slide that I, I showed you last week, just kind of an overview of what these basic needs look like, okay? So last week we talked about on the right how God has wired our wives to receive the love and leadership of the husband, right? That comes through affirmation, affection, or romance, or thoughtfulness, right? Uh, communication and home security. We talked about the husband providing through his loving involvement with the home, with the, 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 the wife and the children, a, a, a security that provides a foundational identity to the children. So, so we talked about affirmation, affection, communication, and then home security. Now look to the left, you're gonna see these needs parallel one another, all right? And so we're really talking about the same core needs, but we're talking how they're expressed differently as men and women. And so today, ladies, we're gonna talk about the basic needs of your husband. The need for admiration. <laughs> oh yeah. I knew, the, I, I, knew, I knew the guys would be back this week. They're ready to go. All right, so we're talking about admiration, intimacy, companionship, home support. So again, these parallel. I just want you to see kind of the same core needs here, but expressed differently. So the need for affirmation we talked about last week for the wife. This week we're going to talk about how that looks in the life of the husband through admiration, affection, romance, 
thoughtfulness, we're going to talk about God's design for sex and an intimacy uh, from the husband's perspective. Communication last week, companionship this week for the husband, home security, home support. So kind of the same core needs, look at how they're expressed. And I just, I just want to remind you that we're talking about the absolute, not the abuse. And so I said that last week, I'm going to say again this week, as we talk about the basic needs of the husband, we're talking about, you know, God's design here. We're talking about the absolute, not the abuse. And as is the case with any of these basic needs, there can be abuses. And of course, I'm not talking about an abuse of these needs or, or I'm not justifying at all an abuse of these needs. But I am hoping to bring clarity to ladies today how your husbands are wired to receive the love that you give him. And it's a little different than what we talked about last week with how your husband should be loving and leading you, okay? And so here's what we're going to see this week. Let me give you the kind of key takeaway, and then we're going to hit these, these four basic needs that mirror uh, the, the, the core needs of the wife. All right, so ladies, here, here's what we're going to see this week, that the way the wife honors and respects her husband should mirror the way Christ honors and respects God the Father. Right? The way the wife honors and respects her husband should mirror the way Christ honors and respects the Father. Okay? And, th and that's what the scriptures are going to point us to. And so let me, let me just remind you, if you're new to Bell Shoals and you missed the first couple of weeks of this series, we've talked so far about men, what it means to be a man, right? Biologically that matters. But then we talked about what it means to be a man in terms of maturing out of boyhood, <laughs> right? Like being an adult male that's functioning like an adult male, not like a child. And that means that men assume the responsibility in their families of provision, protection, and direction. Men assume the responsibility to love their wives with service and sacrifice. So, so we're talking about men who love and lead through service, sacrifice, they provide, they protect, they direct. And so there's this, there's this loving leadership, right? Not abusive leadership, not overbearing leadership. There's a leadership that reflects the love, service, and sacrifice of Jesus. And we talked about womanhood, what it means to be a woman, right? That womanhood has biological implications, which is important to say in our day and time. But more than that, womanhood involves something in terms of leadership that is not weakness. We talked about womanhood is not weakness. We talked about the fact that marriage and motherhood are privileges and blessings. They're not like inconveniences and markers of a lesser than mentality. And so we looked at Proverbs 31 and we talked about the fact that, that the virtuous woman is a woman who loves her husband, who positions him to excel, who cares for her children and her home, who buys and sells property and land, who manages the household. Like it's not weakness, it's leadership. And whether a woman works inside the home, outside the home, doesn't matter. There's this privilege of marriage and motherhood that complements the role of the husband, the man. And you see in God's design how both the man and the woman, the husband and the wife coming together ultimately show us something about Christ and the church. See, this is a part of God's design. So, so, so that's kind of where we've been. And, and, and last week we talked about the basic needs of the wife. And today the basic needs of the husband. And all of this we're going to see is uh, helping us to overcome the tension that exists because we are imperfect people. 
and every one of us have imperfect marriages. So we're trying to navigate the coming together, right, and the complementing of each other. And, and so, ladies, this week, let me, let me balance what I talked about last week with respect to your needs and talk about the way your husband is wired, okay? Because men are much simpler than women. <laughs> That's true. I didn't say dumber, okay? But, ladies, I want to show you something. I hope it's an encouragement to you. Men are much simpler, okay? So let me give you what is very much the number one basic need. And I'm talking number one in bold, all caps, italics, okay? And then the other three we're going to talk about today are really, ladies, seriously, 1A, 1B, and 1C, okay? Because men are... Pretty simple. And so let me give you the number one basic need that's going to really run through all the others. Here it is. It's the word you've already seen it, admiration. Admiration. Admiration, respect. This is the number one need in a significant fashion. And this is the number one way that your husband will feel loved by you. You see, the wife, I mentioned this before, is never commanded in the New Testament to love her husband. That's not to suggest that the wife should not love her husband, right? Titus 2 reminds us that the older women should teach and train the younger women to love their husbands. So this is not saying, ladies, that you shouldn't love your husband. But this is to say in terms of how that love is communicated, okay, that's what we're talking about with basic needs. The way that love is communicated, the way that love is received with the greatest impact in your husband's life and in his heart is through admiration and respect. So let me, let me give you an example of how this works, okay? If you say to your husband, honey, I love you, I just don't respect you. What he heard is, she doesn't really love me. I love you, I just don't respect you. <laughs> well, that brings a certain type of discouragement and confusion in the heart and mind of a man that is difficult to navigate. You see, most men, okay, would rather be disliked but respected as opposed to being liked but disrespected. And that's how they operate at work. Or you don't like me, well, you're going to respect me. Right? Like, and if... And if there's a choice, like most men would say, oh, I'd rather be disliked and respected than liked and disrespected. And so, so, so in terms of how love is expressed and, and how love really speaks to the heart of your husband, it, it, it's about admiration. It's about respect, right? Like we talked last week about the need for the wife to have affirmation, right, for the husband to affirm the wife. I love you, right. Um, we, we talked about common courtesies displayed in affection. We talked about the husband having a pursuing role and thoughtfulness. We talked about the combination of affirmation and affection. And ladies, I want you to understand for your husband, like it's a little bit different, like where you may be wondering, okay, kind of as a basic question in your marriage every day, does he love me? Your husband is asking, does she believe in me? Does she believe in me? And you see this dynamic of the wife believing in the husband, encouraging the husband. Sure, yes, he needs to hear you love him. But, 
more than that, that you're proud of him, that he's a great father, that he's a hard worker, that he's a good provider, that he, he, he lives with wisdom. Like, like just that, 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 that admiration expressed specifically in different moments, right? Like that speaks to his heart, that you're proud of him, that you believe in him, that you admire him. And, and that is so critically important for your husband. By the way, back in Proverbs 31, we saw that the... That, that, this, that this woman who's pictured there has a husband who's sitting at the city gates with the elders, right? He's successful, right? He has a prominent role in his community. And, and of course, Proverbs 31 helps us to understand that he has that role in large part because of the support of his wife. Right, like she's an encourager, right? Like in the way that she fills her role, she helps him to fill his role. And that's the dynamic in play here. It's not so much about affection or affirmation for your husband as it is admiration, respect, like you believe in him, you're proud of him, right? Because see, your husband cares more deeply about what you think than anybody else. Now, he may not tell you that, but that's true. Do you know why? Because you know him better than anybody else. And the one time years ago that my wife said, I'm a great father. She said, you're the best father I've ever known. She told me that before we had kids. And then I, I haven't heard it since. But no, I'm kidding. The times my wife, she'll say something. She's like, honey, you are the best father in the world. And let me just tell you something. I haven't seen any surveys to prove that. And I know in my mind, I'm probably not the best dad. If you're gonna, I mean, if you're going to broaden it to the world, you know, maybe on my street, okay, Maybe in my house, <laughs> okay. But like, I, I know in my mind, right, like intellectually, okay, there's no way to quantify that. But here's the reality, I don't care. If that's what she believes, that's awesome. That's all I care about. Like if I walk out here today and some of you catch me and you're like, man, that was like the best message I have ever heard in church. And I get home and she's like, you really messed that one up. Like that will trouble my heart, right? But I, if I leave here and y'all are like, oh my goodness, when are we finding a new pastor? And she's like, honey, you honor the Lord and you hit the nail on the head. I can live with that, you know? That wouldn't be easy, but I can live with that. Like if the one who knows me best loves me most, like I can live with that, you know? And so ladies, your husband hearing things like, man, you're the best father, you know, I just man, I appreciate how you led through that situation with wisdom. Just that, that, that kind of like beyond just I love you, like that speaking to his heart of like I believe in you in those specific ways. Like that just means so much to your, to your husband because men want to feel useful, purposeful, and, and admired for, for, for how they contribute, okay. And, and they feel lost in the marriage when they feel like for whatever reason their wife doesn't really believe in them, doesn't admire them. And uh, that, that's a tough place to be. So that's why, let me show you a couple of scriptures here. That's why the scriptures are clear in terms of how you love your husbands. Like the love comes through the emulation of Christ in his role with the Father. So Ephesians 5 says this, right? It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, both husband and wife. That's what we're talking about last week and this week. What does it look like for the husband and the wife to submit to each other? Well, for the husband, it starts with, with affirmation, right? For the wife, it starts with admiration. 
And then specifically, right, we looked at the husband's role last week, but verse 22, here's what Paul says to the wife. This means you submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to the husband in everything. Now I'm gonna come back to that, ladies. Don't freak out. If you're new to church, don't leave, okay. Just, I'm gonna explain this, okay. First Peter 3, let me give you more reference though, okay. I just want you to see the consistent command of scripture. Peter says this in chapter 3, in the same way, wives must accept the authority of their husbands and then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. And they will be won over by, the, by observing your pure and reverent lives. See, this is the theme in terms of a command given to the wife in terms of how the, the, the husband and the wife complement each other. Now, let me just clear up a huge misunderstanding here because that word submit in our society is not processed in the way it was in the first century. When we use the word submit, we attach to it the connotation of obey. And ladies, I want to be clear, that is not what the word means. Here's the proof of this. If you move from Ephesians 5 over to Ephesians 6, the word obey is used. And you know who it's used of? Children. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Wives are not commanded to obey their husbands. And our society attaches wrongly when it comes to the scriptures, obedience to submission. Okay, let me, let me give you a better word, I think, that encapsulates the meaning of the word submit in the New Testament. It's the word defer. You see, submission is not about obedience, it's about deferring. It's about deferring at times your rights and privileges, right? Again, this is a different word than what's given to children, in obey. That's not the word given to wives, right? This word was originally used of of someone in the military voluntarily placing themselves under the leadership of another. See, the idea here, ladies, is that by deferring to the leadership that God has assigned to your husband, that in and of itself, that shows an admiration for him and for his role, for the burden of leadership that God has assigned to him. And therefore, that's going to speak to his heart because here's the reality in a marriage right if both the husband and the wife are trying to lead in the same way then no one leads and God's design is such that what happens well the husband mirrors the love the sacrifice the service of Jesus we talked about that last week and therefore he's leading the family forward not with pride or arrogance or selfishness, but with service, with sacrifice, with boldness, with integrity, with a sense that God's will is the only thing that matters. And so therefore he's leading forward in such a way that deferring to him is a joy, not a burden. And Adam's greatest failure in the garden was a failure to do what? To lead. We've talked about this, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, of Adam's greatest failure in Genesis 3 was not telling the serpent, get out of my garden. He allowed the serpent to lead his wife astray. And so because of that failure, it prompted a failure in his wife. And therefore, when God came and appeared to Adam and Eve, 
post-fall, what did he say to the man? Well, you have failed and now you're going to live in a broken world with broken relationships. And to the woman, he said, now your desire is going to be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now there's going to be this dysfunction where you're going to want to lead in the way that he was supposed to lead but didn't. And so now there's going to be this dynamic in many homes. This is what happens even today, all these years later, is you have men abdicating their responsibility to lead like Jesus. And you have women who are trying to usurp that role. And in whatever way that plays out, it can be devastating. But originally in God's design, what's the command to the husband? You love your wife like Christ loves the church. Service, sacrifice, you provide, you protect, you direct. You, you make it a joy and a privilege for her to defer to your leadership. And for the wife, the command is that deference. It's, no, listen, understand the burden that your husband has been assigned. Understand his responsibility to lead in love, service, sacrifice, and come alongside of him and encourage him in that. You, you don't try to usurp him in that, right? You don't try to lead him through that, right? All of this speaks to the admiration expressed through deference that speaks to your husband's heart. Now, of course, this is not a, a deference that should ever lead you or your family to sin, ladies. I want to be clear about that. That's why the scripture says that you submit, you defer to your husband in the Lord. So people ask, well, what does it look like for a husband that's not following the Lord? Well, simply put, the wife should not submit to anything that violates God's will for her or the family. This also means, by the way, that in matters, even where there is a moral, physical, or spiritual danger, the wife should do what she needs to do to ensure her safety and the safety of her children. John Piper said it this way, the basic meaning of submission would be this, to recognize and honor the greater responsibility of your husband to supply your protection and sustenance, to be disposed, right? This is the deference here, not obedience, deference to yield to his authority in Christ and be inclined to follow his leadership. The reason I say that submission means a disposition to yield and an inclination to follow is that phrase, as to the Lord, in Ephesians 5. That limits the scope of submission, he rightly says. No wife should replace the authority of Christ with the authority of her husband. She cannot yield or follow her husband into sin. But even where a Christian wife may have to stand with Christ against the sinful will of her husband, she can still have a spirit of deference. She can show her attitude and behavior that she does not like resisting his will and she longs for him to forsake sin and lead in righteousness so that her disposition to honor him as head can again produce harmony. And so in this mysterious parable of marriage, the wife is to take her special cue from God's purpose to the church in its relation to Christ. And so, so the number one basic need that the husband carries forward in the marriage in terms of how love is expressed is admiration. I love you. I'm proud of you. I respect you. I think you're the greatest father in the world, the greatest grandfather in the world. And then it's maintaining a posture of deference, of encouragement to help your husband to lead in the way that he is accountable to lead. And that is by far the number one basic need of your husband. 
The other three we're looking at, again, are just really 1A, 1B, 1C, ladies, okay? Are you with me on this? It really is. He wants to know every single day that you believe in him and how you relate to him as such that it encourages him to be the man that God has saved him and called him to be. And I promise you this, if you tell your husband today that you think he's the best husband, father, grandfather in the world, he will not ask you why. <laughs> All right, last week we talked about, you know, guys, you tell your wife how beautiful she is and she's going to ask you, well, why, right? Ladies, you don't ever have to worry about that, okay? When we hear that, we just take it to the bank. All right, we don't need reasons, okay? We just need to know that you believe that. So at times you foolishly believe that, okay? We don't care. <laughs> But that belief, right, that, that encouragement, that admiration, oh, that speaks to the heart of the husband. Now let me give you the three ways that's expressed, okay. So here's how we're thinking of this. One, all bold, italicized, all caps here, okay. And then 1A, B, C. Let's go to 1A, okay. This is the second basic need. It's really the first expression of the first ultimate need, right. And that is intimacy, okay. Sexual relational intimacy. All right. <laughs> Man, this is going great so far. All right. So here's the thing, ladies. When I, when I do counseling, when I talk to, to, to wives, they all tell me without exception, right? No, this is my husband's number one basic need. Okay. It's not. It's not. But this is the number one way that he receives admiration from you. And I, I want to say some things today that your husband will probably never say to you because uh, he would have to kind of put his man card <laughs> away for a minute. You know, there's some things he's not going to say to you that I'm going to say to you that's true of us. And uh, here's the thing, like God's design for sex and intimacy is such. Last week we talked about for you, affection, thoughtfulness, romance, right? Like intimacy in, is enjoyed in the context of affection. Today, ladies, I want you to understand, your husband approaches intimacy from a standpoint of admiration and respect. See how simple this is? Everything's going to go back to admiration and respect. And so here's, here's the thing. So you say to your husband, I love you, but I don't respect you. That doesn't equate. Okay, now listen, follow me. You say to him, I respect you, but I don't want to be intimate with you. Same breakdown. Because men think, okay, <laughs> I'm just going to keep it real. Can I keep it real? Okay, all right. Men think, you know what, she respect me. Mm-hmm. She's going to want to be with me. And some of you are like, have you looked in the mirror, right? But... <laughs> We don't think that way, ladies, right? We don't think that way. We think if she admires me, she respects me, she's proud of me, she believes in me, then she wants to be intimate with me, right? And that's why last week I talked to the husband about the importance of intimacy from the wife's perspective. It's not so much how the husband looks, it's how the wife feels. The husband, not so much worried about feelings. <laughs> And again, I just want to say, this can be expressed poorly. It can be expressed selfishly. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what is one of God's beautiful reasons for intimacy. Because it, it speaks 
to far more than the physical. It ultimately speaks to the emotional, the relational, and the spiritual. And for the husband, again, he's not going to say this to you probably, but I want you to understand this, that, 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 the, that God's design for physical intimacy is really the, the most profound, it's the deepest way that you communicate admiration to your husband. And cultivating, therefore, a healthy intimacy in marriage is a very important part of having a healthy marriage. That's why, let me show you a few verses here in 1 Corinthians 7, okay. That's why Paul talks about the importance of leaning into God's design here. Okay, 1 Corinthians 7, check this out. He says, now regarding the questions you asked. So the church had some questions for Paul, right? So like, he says, there were some who said, you know what, we should, we should abstain from sexual relations, right? Like, like to walk with the Lord and be pure means that you don't, you, don't, you don't lean into those feelings, those desires. Paul says, that's crazy. No, God's made you for this. So look at verse 2. Here's what he says. He says, okay, no, no, no. There's so much sexual immorality in the world. Every man should have his own wife and every woman should have her own husband, right? Now, he elsewhere talks about singleness, by the way. It's not that everybody has to be married, right? There are no second-class citizens. But for those who are married, right, and those who, who have the desire for intimacy, Paul's saying the husband should have a wife and the wife should have a husband. Now, look at this. And the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Last week we talked, again, talked to the men about how that happens in a way that speaks to the heart of the wife. It's about affection more than just the physical, right? So we talked about that. Ladies, I want you to see, right, the same core need is there, but for the husband it's going to speak to his heart. So he says the wife gives authority over her body to the husband and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. And so look at this. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. In the original language, the Greek says this. A six-month headache is not really a headache. <laughs> I'm just having a little fun there. All right, I'm just teasing. Now look at what he says there. That's so important. That when you come together, right, this, is, this goes back to Genesis. You come together in the context of marriage as one flesh. Paul says, we're going to talk about this next week, by the way, because there's so much, um, man, there's just so much corruption out there today in terms of God's design for intimacy. And we're going to talk about the fact that sexual sin is unique in this. It's a sin against your own body. It will wreck you from the inside out. And so this is, this is like, man, this is a big deal, right? Like that the husband and the wife come together, they're one flesh. Paul says, therefore, the authority for, for each of you, right, like it belongs to the other. Like you come together, you're one flesh, right? And you no longer think about what's best for you. That's what we've been talking about here. That true manhood is not abuse, it's not being overbearing, it's not being demanding. True manhood is leading through love, service, sacrifice, right? Like, like you care for your wife with the same intensity as you care for your own needs. That's what the scripture says. And for the wife we've talked about, right? Like, 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 like the, this respect for the husband, deferring to the husband. Like, and, and in both situations, here's what Paul's saying when it comes to intimacy. Like your body is not your body anymore. It belongs to your spouse, right? And again, we're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about anything immoral. We're not talking about anything overbearing. We're just talking about God's design, right? The, 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 the husband loves the wife, affirms her. There's this culture of 
thoughtfulness and affection. And then the wife has this deference to her husband because he's loving and leading her like Jesus. And therefore it's a joy and a privilege and she's encouraging him. And she herself is carrying out her role, but she's doing it in a way that accentuates the husband and encourages him. And she admires him and respects him. And then they have this intimate relationship where they both flourish together. Why? Because they're not focused on each other. It's not, okay, I'm coming into marriage so that, you know, I can better meet my needs. Like if that's your strategy for getting married, it's a really bad strategy. No, it's like, I love this person. Love from the wife's perspective demonstrated meeting his core needs through admiration, intimacy. So that Paul says, do not deprive each other, either one. And if you have to have a season where there's whatever, there are issues in the marriage and there's got to be time for prayer and working through some things, fine. Define it, talk about it, deal with it, and then come back together again. Paul says, because if you don't, you're going to open yourself up to temptation. And, and so here's the dynamic. I just want you to understand this dynamic, right? It's not just, it's not ultimately about the physical. Your husband may... Um, he may communicate in that way, but it's really about the spiritual. It's about him being connected to you. So let me encourage you to never use intimacy as a bargaining chip. Never use it as a negotiation tactic, right? If there are issues that are preventing it, talk about it, address it, move forward from them. Because God's design is that you come together in intimacy in such a way that you have this affection received from him. And he has the admiration received from you, all right? Now let me go to 1B. This is the next dynamic here, okay? Third basic need, really the second of number one, <laughs> 1A and 1B, it's companionship. The extension of the closeness goes beyond the physical into the relational. And so basically, ladies, here's what I'm saying. Your husband, like, values you as a friend. Again, he's probably not going to say that. He's probably not going to be walking out of church today. You are my best friend, Okay? I, don't, I can't promise a Jerry Maguire moment, you complete me, okay. I don't know, maybe that will happen today. But I just want you to understand, this is a huge need. Let me show you why in the scripture, Genesis 2.18, the Lord said, not the man, the Lord said, and the man agreed, by the way, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And so here's what that looks like day to day. It means he wants to associate you with the things that he enjoys most. That's why some of you get frustrated at times, perhaps you're like, he likes to play golf or he likes to, um, you know, go to shows and he likes whatever. And there's just certain things that you have no interest in. You're like, why is he always inviting me? I hate this stuff. Well, he's always inviting you because he wants to associate you with the things that he most enjoys. That speaks to his heart. She admires me. She respects me. She wants to be with me. And therefore, like when I'm doing X, she wants to do X. And it doesn't mean you always have to do X. Sometimes it means you give him the window to do those things with others, with some friends. And that's fine because that, that's totally appropriate, right? Not all the time. Again, not in an abusive manner. Not, okay, I'm not talking about softball guy who's seven nights a week. Okay, he's never home, never helping with the kids. Don't let him quote this message. Okay, softball guy, if that's you today, you better be up here repentant. Don't be quoting me. All right, I'm not talking about, okay, this is licensed for the husband to be out of the house seven nights a week and not involved in the kids. Of course not. But here's the way it works, ladies. Like in a healthy way, 
If there are things that he enjoys doing that you don't enjoy doing, if he does those things without your blessing, he can't fully enjoy those things because the entire time he's doing those things, he's thinking about how in doing them, somehow he's injuring you. <laughs> and that's where, again, he's just not going to say, you complete me, but um, you do. And let me encourage you to find some things, at least one thing, you enjoy doing together. My wife's been amazing at this, okay. She grew up in a family, no sports. Can you imagine? Okay, no, amazing family, have the best in-laws. But she just didn't grow up in that culture, okay. Well, I grew up, that's kind of my life, right. So this is just how stupid I was, am, whatever. <laughs> Our very first kind of date, we weren't really dating, dating yet, but in my mind we were dating. So... Um, our very first date, I took her to an Ohio State football game. I mean, I thought that she was going to propose to me in the stadium. I'm like, do you have any, like, now this is back before you guys, this is back, way back before, like, um, StubHub and stuff. Like, you couldn't get tickets unless you knew somebody. And I happened to have a friend who went to Ohio State, and I happened to get two tickets, actually four. We went with him and a, and, and a friend of his. So... I happened to get these tickets. I couldn't believe it. This is back in the day, man. Sold out. 100,000 people there. You couldn't, there was no online. I happened to get them. I invited her. I'm like, she has no idea how good she has it. Right? And this is, you can ask her, this is 100% true story. We're driving from our university to Columbus, to the, about an hour drive. On our way, we're in the back seat together with our friends. And she has this little booklet her friends put together. And she's flipping through this little booklet. And it has in there, I kid you not, touchdown when the football crosses the goal line. <laughs> she didn't know what a touchdown was. Flip the page. Field goal, right? We go to the game. She doesn't even know, like, who the teams are. She doesn't know anything that's happening, right? There's a ball being thrown and guys are tackling each other and it's violent and we're cheering. And the whole time, she just clapping and cheering. Woo! No, it's the wrong team. That's the wrong team. No, we're cheering for the boys in red today. So anyway, we had the best time, right? And um, <laughs> we laugh about it now because it's like, I can't believe I did that. And I mean... And she did it. And, like, we've actually been to a lot of games. We've been to Reds games. I mean, she's been, we just have fun together, you know. And here's the reality. If I had one ticket to go to one of those events, I would take her. No offense to any of you. Right. I have some amazing friends that I enjoy some of those things with from time to time. But I'm just saying my kids love that stuff, you know. I've raised them right. Okay. But I'm just saying, like. If I had one opportunity to go, I'd take her. We have a great time together. And she's, she's learned. Like, we have a great time. Like, look, we go to a baseball game. She don't care what the score is. She's looking for the cotton candy guy. <laughs> right? Which is totally fine. I don't care. She's with me. We're having fun. We're laughing. You know, I'm trying to catch a foul ball for her. Show her how great I am so she can admire me more. <laughs> right? Man, she's been great. And again, it's a two-way street. Like, I'm not saying it's a one-way street, but like I've, I've tried to take on some things that she enjoys, right? So like she likes Broadway musicals. <laughs> yep. And now I like Broadway musicals. <laughs> and I'll never, years ago, I, can't, I think the first, was it Phantom was our first one? So I can't remember, like... She loved it. And I thought, all right, I'm going to be a blessing to her. You know, she's going to Ohio State games with me and we're going to Red. We're going to, and she's just, she's been amazing at that. You know, like 
she comes and she came to college and watched my flag football intramural team. Because I should be in the intramural hall of fame. Because we were undefeated, you know. And every time I drive by that field, I'm like, hey, baby, you know what we used to do right there? You used to watch me win flag football games. <laughs> She's like, oh, my goodness. It's been 30 years. You, still, you better believe I'm still talking about it because you are lucky to be married to me. You could be married to one of those boys that did not win all those flag football games. Right? All right. So she's just been great. So I thought, I'm going to do that. So I bought tickets to see Phantom of the Opera. That was our first one. Dude, I loved it. It was amazing. Every time I hear Jason Millsap sing, I think of the Phantom of the Opera. It's like, <laughs> it's amazing, right? And then uh, for our anniversary one year, I bought her tickets to see The Lion King. Oh, man, that was awesome. And then we seen Hamilton and oh, whatever. You get the point, okay? Put my man card down right here. <laughs> Boom. No. So it's a two-way street, but here's what happens with a lot of families. They don't have a marriage-centered home. They have a kid-centered home. And then the wife doesn't really understand that the husband sees her, wants to see her as a best friend, wants to do things together, wants to associate her with the things that he enjoys doing. Not in an abusive way, but right, just in a relational way. That's God's design. But then what happens is when that doesn't occur, then the kids all of a sudden leave the home and husband and wife have nothing else in common. You know, that's bad. <laughs> that's bad. And so I just want you to understand, ladies, if, if you get in this, like, cycle where you're like, why is he always asking me to do things that I don't want to do? Now you know why. Because it speaks to the fact that you love him, admire him, believe in him, want to be with him. Um, which is why Michelle Westhoff said this, to know that you like spending time with him because you like him as well as you love him, showing interest in the things that interest him, finding enjoyment in at least one thing that he likes to do speaks to the heart of your husband, okay? And so we've got admiration, number one, 1A, intimacy, 1B, companionship, and then 1C, last thing, home stability, home stability. The husband's engagement and involvement brings a security to the family, not just physically, but relationally, emotionally, spiritually. Ladies, for you, the wife, here's God's design, provides a stability. This is Proverbs 31 to the home that the husband just cannot provide. Man, it's just such a privilege to see the culture of our home that in large part is something that my wife leads in. See, that atmosphere creates a place where this is what the husband desires, creates a place where the husband comes home to rest and rejuvenation, right? He's able to come home and like, and, and be recharged, come home and like love being with his wife and kids. And there's, and in other words, it's not chaos, right? And again, it's not that the husband doesn't have a part to play. We talked about that last week. But it's just for the wife, you know, there's an opportunity there, not just on the security end, but the stability end to create a culture that's not chaotic. It's, it's a home where there's rest and rejuvenation. And the husband just loves that, leans into that, needs that. That speaks again to his hearts. And the scriptures actually speak to the dynamic of a wife who creates chaos and not rest and rejuvenation. All right. I'm gonna give you two scriptures here. I want to remind you, these are not mine. Okay. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 19, 13. A foolish child is a calamity to a father and a quarrelsome wife is as annoying as constant dripping. Ladies, get away. Uh, that's not, I did not say that. That's in the Bible. Proverbs 21, better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife. 
in a lovely home. Now, seriously, you know what the scripture is speaking to here? Just the, the beautiful design of God that the wife creates a culture in the home that can't be duplicated by anybody else. And every husband in here would affirm that. And so I just want to encourage you in that, ladies. Again, Proverbs 31, okay, contrary to the Barbie culture we talked about, like, like what's wrong with a dynamic where the husband and the wife both invest in each other, care for each other, focus on meeting each other's needs, like raise the children in a context where mom and dad are first relational priority in the home. And, and then you see this flourishing of God's design there that ultimately leads the children to to see the gospel, like what is wrong with that? Like our society pushes these other dynamics to our own detriment, right? Like, like when we're meeting each other's needs in the context of marriage, right? Like it works. That's how God's designed. He's not, he's not made us to be alone, right? Just by and large, like not good for man to be alone. There's these dynamics and, and when it works, it works well, not just individually, but family-wise across the home. And that rest and rejuvenation is there. The husband is blessed and encouraged and wants to be there. And then there's just this perpetuation of all that is good. That's why Martin Luther said, let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. That's a good word. It takes two, right? It takes two. And let me just kind of wrap up here the last four weeks. So here's what I want you to understand. Marriage is not easy, not for the faint of heart, okay. Being a man, being a woman, walking with the Lord, it takes intentionality. But when you lean into God's design, there's nothing better. And if you're skeptical today, if you're new to church and you're like, I don't know about this guy, I don't know about these verses up on the screen. Hey, I, here's what I would encourage you to do. Just um, put the Lord to the test in this way. Try living your life in such a way that your others focus. Try to meet the needs of your spouse in the way that we've outlined with the scriptures and just see what happens. Because I believe with all of my heart that God's will is best, right? Because here's his ultimate design for marriage, that we reflect the love God has for us. We reflect the deference that Jesus shows to the will of the Father, right? Without having a reduced identity at all, right? Like, like marriage is the most powerful picture on earth of what it means that Jesus loves us. So we got to work at it. Are you with me? Like we got to, like this is a big deal, right? Like our marriages are the most profound way that our children will see the love of Christ. That's why when Jesus returns and he gathers us to himself, the, the, the whole moment of our gathering is described as a wedding. It's described as a marriage. Like that's how, that's how much of a big deal this is, right? Revelation 19, just watch this. Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Okay, the scripture says, Revelation 19, 7. So then let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride, by the way, that's you and me, has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, to John, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. There is coming a day when we... 
we, the bride, will be reunited with our groom. And, and this reunion is described as a reception. It's the, it's the groom receiving his bride that, 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 that defers to him and his will for us, that leans into his leadership, right? That, that cherishes him and trusts that his will is best. And the groom, of course, has led us through love, service, and sacrifice. He laid down his life for us. He secured eternal hope and victory for us. He is working in us now to make us holy and pure and blameless so that we might receive the full inheritance he has promised for us. How does the Lord depict our future? It's a wedding. And um, so my hope for all of us is that we would really lean into God's design here and see the gospel take root in the way that we meet each other's needs and um, therefore experience the very best that God has for us. And so let me ask you to stand with me today. And um, I want to pray for us to close out our service. And hey, I want you to know if you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with this Jesus or you don't know him, you're not leaning into his design, I'd love to connect with you today. You can connect with us at the round tables as you leave. We'd be glad to help you this week to take your next step and discover the very best that God has for you, all right? And um, if you're married and you kind of feel like you're in a rut, I promise you, you're not the only one. We're here to help, pray for you, encourage you. If we can do that this week, you let us know. Um, that's why we're here. Um, no marriage is perfect, but we're striving all the more to navigate them in such a way that we show the beauty of the gospel. And um, that's why we do what we do.